Hello and welcome to Mother Bodies, the podcast about health after birth and why it matters. I'm your host, Rosie Taylor. I'm a health journalist and I'm also a mum. In this series, I'm asking some brilliant, wise and witty guests to share their thoughts on how the politics of postnatal health affects us all and the big ideas which could change our lives for the better. Most importantly, we'll also be sharing our own stories of health and recovery after birth and our honest experiences of motherhood. That's because it's only by sharing our stories that we can empower each other to ensure we all know what to expect and to make sure we all get the care and support we need, both after birth and throughout motherhood. This is Mother Bodies. So today is kind of a big deal for me. This is the last episode of season one of Mother Bodies. If you've been listening so far, thank you so much. If this is your first episode, then please feel free to go back and listen to any of the others. They're all going to stay there wherever you get your podcasts, Apple, Spotify, Google. You can listen to them whenever you like. So my one big ask is that if you have enjoyed the series, then please, I would hugely appreciate it if you could leave Mother Bodies a rating. Obviously, five stars would be fantastic, but it's up to you. Um, And even better, if you could write just a couple of words, a really, really quick review, that would be fantastic. And actually, you don't even have to stop listening to this episode to do that. The wonders of modern technology means you can type a couple of words in the review box while this podcast is playing. And while I'm on that topic, thank you so much to everyone who has got in touch to say really wonderful things about how they found the podcast interesting or that it's benefited them or it's educated them about something that they didn't know about. And to all of you who have messaged me really sweetly, really kindly to say you felt for the first time really validated that finally you were hearing someone echo your experiences and that you didn't feel so alone anymore. I am so honoured to receive that kind of feedback. It means the world to me. Um, But I'm also so pleased that Mother Bodies is making a bit of a difference. You know, I started this podcast because I just felt that so many mums sitting there in the first days, weeks, months, years of motherhood thinking oh my god no one told me it was going to be like this what's happened to my body why is no one helping me and actually just having the information about what's normal and what to expect and where you can get help from and how you can get that help and why you're not being offered that help is really fundamental and part of the idea of setting up mother bodies was to create a place where we could talk openly about this stuff and get that information and share our stories. But the other sort of driving force behind it was just, I really wanted to get to the bottom of why. Why is this happening? I wanted to unpick why women aren't getting informed about normal postnatal symptoms. Why women are not being offered evidence-based postnatal care. And I think we have gone some way in this series to beginning to understand some of the reasons behind that. And you know, there are multiple complex reasons why that is the case but I'm also hopeful that we've begun to come up with a few ideas for how those things could change and some of the fantastic people that I've spoken to on the show people like Dr Eloise Elphinstone who is trying really hard to make sure that GP six-week check is so much better than it is for women at the moment People like Helen Ledwick, who's been single-handedly educating a whole generation of women about pelvic floors and what prolapse is and what causes it and what you can do about it. And that brings me to my fabulous guest today, Leanne Nichol. Leanne has been campaigning around postnatal health issues since she had her first child. She's now written a book, Your Postnatal Body, 
top-to-toe guide to caring for yourself after pregnancy and birth, which she wrote to give women that information that we're just not getting at the moment about what really happens to your body after birth and what you can do to make sure you recover fully and properly. Leanne originally trained as an actor and then moved into charity work. She has two children and I started off by asking her what it was about her own experience after having her first child that inspired her to start campaigning, researching and writing around postnatal health. So the way I felt after I had my first son was a real shock. (laughs) I just hadn't seen proper postpartum kind of what it looks like. It was a real shock to me. I was exhausted um, and I was very sore and I was obviously bleeding a lot and I was um, really struggling with the breastfeeding and I was also injecting myself with heparin and apart from my husband who was wonderful but also slightly shell-shocked by the whole thing I really felt like I'd just been dropped out of an airplane and told to you know crack on and it was years later that I heard the term that you're treated like a princess in pregnancy and a pauper afterwards in postpartum and that really resonated and I was pretty angry I had to I had to advocate for myself a lot, which I wasn't expecting. Um, I had terrible problems breastfeeding and I had to do a lot of pushing to get help with that. I had nursing aversion, which I didn't even know what it was. I'd never even heard of it. It took quite a lot of like 3am Googling to find out why I was feeling the way it was. Can you just explain what nursing aversion is? It's when you're, it's basically for me anyways, being extremely touched out. I had a Velcro baby, as a lot of us do, and and the breastfeeding wasn't going great. And so he was just on me constantly. And it's a kind of claustrophobia, or it was for me. And it was a horrible and frightening feeling. I just wanted him off me. And I really struggled with that. It was quite short-lived, but it was scary because I'd never heard of it. Nobody was explaining these things to me. So that was part of it. And also I had to ask to get my stitches checked. Um, which felt uncomfortable and embarrassing but I wanted to know if I was healing how well I was healing I had to push um, and go privately to see a pelvic health physio I had uh, a different view and I think we might come on to this later but I had a different view of what kind of care we got postpartum because I'd I'd read a book previously called Bumpology by a journalist called Linda Geddes I Mm -hmm. think I'm pronouncing that right And in it, she had explained how in France, after you have a baby, you get, um, I'm going to sound terrible with my accent here, but perennial re-education or re-education (laughs) perennielle. Yeah, I used to be an actor, didn't you? Um, (laughs) (laughs) So I had um, this vision that that was the kind of care that I would get. And yeah, that didn't exist. So I was googling mummy physio because that is what I think it had been entitled in the book and I ended up going to London on the train (laughs) with my um I think it was I don't know between three and five month old to to get some of this physio that I'd heard was so necessary and so um helpful after birth so yeah so I was angry so that's part of it I was angry and I felt really disillusioned and I thought if I, I can do all this, I've got support and I've got resources and I'm pretty into research, so I can do all this. 
And I feel about all the other mums or, you know, a majority of other mums who may not have that kind of support or means to go privately. And I just thought it was completely wrong. We've got it all wrong in how we treat postpartum women. And then the other thing was I was doing yoga because I knew it's a good thing for postpartum women to do. And my wrists kept giving out and it never had before. And actually, subsequently with my second son, it was my other wrist. And it was these things I was thinking, yeah, my sister had this after pregnancy as well. But it's not something that I've heard of or I've heard anybody talk about or I've heard anybody kind of explain all of the different ways in which your body can change after pregnancy. But there is a lot of focus on your pelvic health and your abdominals, which is really good because they've, you know, they've taken a bashing. But then there's, we're all reconnected, everything's connected. And the effects can be felt from the tip of your toes to the hairs on your head. And so that's what propelled me into researching all of the different ways pregnancy and birth can mess with your body and how to get back to health. And did you ever find out what it was that caused the problems with your wrist? Well, I found out about other wrist issues. So, there's well wrist and hand there's the I can't pronounce the real one I'm not gonna even try it's d something d quiven or something there I go I did try but I think that's wrong um it was it's your mum thumb so it's a problem that you get and it's mostly to do with the new way you're using your hands when you have a baby and the way you lift and carry and hold and then the other one is carpal tunnel which can come on throughout pregnancy and then last into postpartum for some women mine I did have carpal tunnel but that wasn't what this was I think it was just a general weakness and things to do with the connectivity the fascia in your body um, and how my posture and carrying and all the things we do differently as a new mum affected my body but I will say like the one of the reasons I don't know exactly what it is is because when I was doing my research for the book I kept finding holes like there's just this there's just a big black hole where there is very little research and that was frustrating so you know women have come up to me and said oh is this because of postpartum um or I suspect this and sometimes it's like a lot of the same stuff but the research isn't there that said there's some really interesting research that's going on and there is more of a focus on women's health and women's health research so I'm hopeful that you know the 10th edition of this book (laughs) might might be really comprehensive might be even bigger yeah brilliant (laughs) I think it's interesting like you say there's there are big black holes in the research definitely I don't know whether the research is there or not, but there, even if there has been some research and there's huge black holes in our knowledge, because there's loads of things that I just didn't understand. And it's interesting that you said that you had problems with your wrists and weakness there, because I had huge problems with weakness with my joints, which is something I've always had to a certain degree. And it was really terrible. And I had a birth injury and then just couldn't recover from it and really struggled with, um, you know, things like lifting my baby and stuff like that as well. And and when I did eventually like you go and see a private women's health physio she was like well yeah obviously because you're still breastfeeding and you still have relaxing in your body and then like so your ligaments loose and I was like oh this is complete news to me I had no idea that this was a thing and I think there are loads of issues aren't there that actually are caused by breastfeeding that perhaps 
even if science knows about maybe they haven't told us about it because they think we won't breastfeed and it's like well just tell me and then I know what to expect not telling me isn't going to make my wrist stop being weak it just equips me with the knowledge of how to deal with that and perhaps I can prepare for it absolutely and make adaptations in how you do stuff and know that potentially it's not going to be a long-term thing as well one of the doctors I spoke to for the book talks about arthralgia and postpartum arthralgia where your joints are really achy afterwards and people can worry that they're they're getting arthritic and and it's it is Mm. like arthritis but it's not permanent and it and it is partly to do with breastfeeding and we should know these things but then you know it's a balance isn't it so you you can give people the information say you might feel a bit loosey-goosey in your joints. You might feel a bit achy in your joints and you might be easier to go over on your ankles. So take it a bit easy and stuff. But there's also like, but, you know, studies have shown that you end up with increased bone density, which is brilliant later on in life. So that, you know, mm. there's always, or pretty much always something to balance that out. And it is really infantilizing when people withhold information because they think it's going to scare you. It, I don't think it helps. It doesn't help at all. Like you say, and actually, that point you made about knowing that there's an end to it. Actually, if you've had a baby, you've gone through pregnancy, you've experienced some probably fairly horrible things. But it's fine because you know there's an end in sight. You know, and I think it's the same thing with postpartum symptoms. I think a lot of the issues is people think, oh, my God, is this my life now? Do I have to live like this? And just knowing like, oh, no, actually, it's probably a lot worse because you're still breastfeeding. And when your baby stops feeding as much, it will probably improve. Like, you're like, OK, well, I could live with this for a six months or a year or however long it takes yeah it's just yeah having that reassurance that maybe this isn't forever so yeah that's so true I mean you're still growing your baby when you're breastfeeding right because you are providing their nutrition so that it's just an extension of that and also things are worse when you're sleeping less like your mental health definitely um and your physical health and you know that hopefully although I'm not a poster child for this um it's short-lived so you can get through that period and make adaptations. We're really bad at making adaptations for our life because we are culturally, we have this ingrained kind of vision that we just go back to how our life was. Even if we're not going back to work, we go back to how productive and quick our life is. And we don't factor in that time for healing and adaptations we can make in the short term. makes sense to go on to talk about COVID (laughs) here because um, your second child was born just before lockdown March 2020 yeah and um, I also had a lockdown baby uh, so he was born about six (laughs) weeks before lockdown Um, yeah (laughs) Leanne's holding up a heart symbol here (laughs) yeah so lockdown it's very interesting in its impact on new mums and the postnatal care they receive but and I'll ask you about how that was for you but I also wondered whether you felt there was an element that with lockdown it did force a slowing down in a way that didn't exist when you had your first child yeah 100% I found lockdown very difficult as everybody did being isolated and having no support definitely found that difficult but I was also relieved that I didn't have to present in a certain way I could be in my pajamas pretty much all day the house was a complete catastrophe I didn't have to get to an appointment 
uh, I didn't have to try and get out of the house with a baby by a certain time. And that reduced stress levels enormously. And I did have my elder son at home. So that presented other challenges. But it meant that I could just let a few things go that normally would have been, you know, I would be trying to cover up what a hot mess I was. <laughs> so in terms of the care you received, how did postnatal care received what you had after your first child because obviously as you just explained it wasn't brilliant after your first child so what happened second time around I had a little bit of care I did have a midwife come to the house a couple of times I'd had a cesarean section and I definitely remember them checking my wound which I was very nervous about and then lockdown happened and the last time I saw a midwife she was outside my porch and we were weighing the baby on some scales in the hallway and then just passing the the scales back all kind of gloved and masked and everything so that was really odd (laughs) but my son has a cow's milk protein allergy which meant that he was put under health visitor supervision so once we figured that out which was possibly a couple of months later I then did have appointments with health visitors obviously it was entirely focused on my son but had I had any mental health issues I think I would have been able to flag them or they may have picked up and I had a really good health visitor but I'm really aware that I only got to see anybody because my son had a health issue. I did have some phone calls where I was asked, you know, the tick box questions about my mental health, but that's all a bit blurry. And I really don't think it works over the phone. I know they're really stretched. And at the time they couldn't see people in, in person, but I know that telemedicine is like a big thing now. And I just don't think that works. I think you have to see the mother. Yeah, you have to see you can, you know, there's so much about human interaction. And like even this over Zoom, like, it's just not the same. You have to be able to see in that woman's eyes and, and see, you know, when she says she's okay, is she? Is she really okay? (laughs) And you're not going to say over Zoom or something, can you check my stitches? Who's going to go legs akimbo on a flipping? It's just not going to happen, is it? I mean, maybe some people have and they're very brave. But yeah, I mean, absolutely. I mean, I certainly found I because my baby was born about six weeks before lockdown and we had a lot of breastfeeding problems and I was in and out of various breastfeeding groups as much as I could do because of my own physical problems, you know, several times in those few weeks before lockdown. And I don't a, I don't understand how it could have worked if it wasn't in person because even with the video, I needed someone there physically, like moving my baby's head around on the boob, getting their boob out, showing me how they did it. You know, that sort of thing was so important. And then secondly, they did move to Zoom when lockdown began. And I just never got to a point where I felt like, yeah, actually, I want to get my boobs out on the internet in front of strangers. It just felt wrong. <laughs> I think that is totally fair enough. I, I do have like several hundred videos of me like trying to, just get him into position so that I could send random strangers videos of my boobs. Yeah. Yeah. Weird. It's just, it's just not the same, no. is it? And it's the depth because I ended up having physio over Zoom, which is again, a weird experience. 
and you don't get the depth perception on the video basically so the physio was sort of trying to look at me and like are you doing it properly and she couldn't really see because you can't really see anything and that was better than before which was actually physio over the phone which as you can imagine was almost farcical (laughs) that's terrible that is terrible lockdown I think we can agree wasn't good for any of us but I think what's really worrying is what's happened since and how not everything has come back essentially yeah yeah absolutely I think there are huge problems I mean I think campaigning work that myself and others had done and made progress with I do feel like things have stalled from things I've heard from people I worked with NCT on the hidden half campaign and the GP template for the six to eight week check and from reports I've had the template is not widely used and it's really comprehensive so that's frustrating the NHS 10-year plan has in it for women to have a referral to women's health physio I don't think I know any woman who's had that on the NHS I think just to clarify you can have it if you ask for it but it's not being automatically yeah yeah Yeah. so I do actually know women who are fighting for it as Mm. well these are women who communicated with me online through the postnatal health community And that's really frustrating. And I worry about the mental health implications as well. I I was a second time mum. It's a little bit different perhaps for me, but for first time mums, I think that could have been really isolating, really traumatising. And I don't know how much pick up on that there has been. Yeah, in terms of how much things have improved. Well, just going back to those mums, those mums who experienced that. I don't think there's been any, to be honest. I don't think that I don't think that's either. I ha- I certainly haven't been checked up on, and I'm okay, but I might not be. I might not have been, but nobody knows that. Yeah, it's really interesting because my sort of antenatal group, obviously, we all had babies around the same time, or just before lockdown, and a couple of friends have gone on to have subsequent babies since. And one of my friends had her newborn around the same time as her older son, who was born just before lockdown, should have had his two year check. And the health visitor was like, oh, well, we'll do the newborn check in person, but we're going to do the two-year check over video because that's what we do now. And she was just like, yeah, but yeah, great. Great that you're coming to see my newborn. But my son has never been seen by a health professional in his life. Wow. And that weird sort of sense of like, oh, yes, the next generation of babies, and absolutely rightly, yeah, they need to get the proper treatment and they will be seen in person. They'll be checked to be okay. But there's this whole cohort of about two years worth of children who have never seen a health visitor, never been checked in person, really, apart from to have their vaccinations. Mm. Um, yeah, and it just seems really strange that, the, of course, you know, quite rightly, the focus needs to be on making sure newborns now are okay. But why is no one sort of checking these kids that weren't checked at all for two years and their mums as well? You know, it's just weird to think that apparently the evidence says we need all of these checks. Yeah, Yeah. we've done nothing to check that the people that missed all of them are all right. Absolutely. Just feel very forgotten. Yeah, very forgotten. At the moment, new mums aren't really receiving what you would consider adequate postnatal care in this country where could we do better and what is actually working really well at the moment are there any areas where things are really good and things are going really well so if I start with your second question there are and I think it's really really important I I hear a lot of 
about the bad experiences and I talk quite a lot about the bad experiences or explain them in the book but actually there are good things happening there's the perinatal mental health hubs across the country a lot of these are in kind of pilot or end of pilot stages there are also these pelvic health clinics that are being trialed as well so there are two things that are really, really important that are happening. And I think that, it, yeah, I think it's definitely worth noting that. And if you're in any of these kind of trial areas, making sure that you have access to that and there are things that should be rolled out. How can people find out if they're in a trial area? It has got them on the NHS site, um, so you can find them. They're called test sites, I think, for improved maternal perinatal health services. And then one thing I got when I asked some women what had their care been like, what were examples of good care? And the resounding thing that came back was, well, there was two things. One, if you are flagged for potential mental health issues, you will get better care generally. So you have to kind of make it known that you either have have had mental health issues in the past or you're worried. If you flag mental health issues, flag any issues with bonding with baby, then you will likely get more intensive support. But it has to be you. And this is something I talk about in the book is self-advocacy and how unfortunately at the moment you do have to you know raise your voice to get the care that you need you need to ask for it Uh, and then the other thing was these pilots of continuity of care so or continuity of care so that means when you see a midwife throughout your whole pregnancy birth and postpartum and you often get that with home birth teams but hopefully that again is another pilot that's being kind of rolled out across the country and from the women I've spoken with that model provides better postpartum care as well because you've built a relationship she's not just a woman that you've never seen before kind of dipping in and out of your house and a different one every time and that relationship seems to make a really big difference to postpartum care so those are three things that are really working and then there's things like multidisciplinary care and multidisciplinary teams that come and see you after the birth, especially if your birth has not been straightforward and just, to, you know, before you leave hospital, catching you before you leave hospital or before you're dismissed from the midwifery team. So you're seeing an obstetrician gynecologist, you're seeing a breastfeeding or lactation consultant or a midwife with a, that speciality. You're seeing a midwife with a speciality in perineal care. You're, you're seeing a women's health physio before you leave hospital. Now, these are things that take investment, but... If you put that investment in, as we all know, it's preventative care Mm. and that is, you know, economically savvy. If you put that care in at the beginning, then you will be preventing problems down the line. So also, sorry, I should have mentioned being flagged, being screened for mental health problems before you leave. Making sure women don't leave hospital too soon when they've still got issues because being readmitted to hospital is completely miserable. Um, And can really set you up for a really bad postpartum experience. So that's some of it. Where it's not working, it's mainly to do with funding. It's mainly to do with staffing. So the postnatal health gets, I think, 8.5% of the maternity budget. It's not enough. Postnatal wards are understaffed. I'm not sure about postnatal training. A, a friend of mine's just completed her midwifery training. And I think she thought that was an area that could be improved upon. And then the other thing I'm really hoping for is a massive cultural shift. Yes. <laughs> 
where we recognize and revere, you know, what women have just the physical feat we have just performed. And we, as a community, as a society, respect that and give due care and consideration. And as a community, begin to look after new mums better. So that's that's once you've had your multidisciplinary check and, you know, you've had all your referrals that you need health-wise. I also think as well as a really comprehensive six to eight week check, we should have a nine month check as well. It's really interesting you say that because we were talking about that actually earlier in the podcast series with Dr. Eloise Elphinstone, who's a women's health specialist GP. And, she's in my book oh uh, she's brilliant <laughs> and she was really good and she said exactly the same thing you know like about a lot of these issues you know, six weeks is so soon after birth and, and so many women find GPs just say we'll give it a few months and see how it goes and a few months down the line you're really busy and you think oh well uh, and it just never happens does it whereas if everyone was checked off nine months later I think a lot of people were saying well actually I've been living with this you know leak or bump or pain for nine months and maybe it should have recovered by now and maybe I need to do something about it absolutely it's such a good time to catch women for lots of different health screening and health advice at that point because you might not see a woman for years and years afterwards and for me as somebody who's going from postnatal possibly into a hop skip and a jump into perimenopause it's a really good time because a lot of us are older mums now to catch us and start talking about the things that you might experience when your hormones change again. So I think basically it's a it's a really good time. You can check if you've had like gestational diabetes or hypertension. You can be giving preventative medicine type advice about how to manage your lifestyle to kind of prevent those conditions rearing their head again. You can give all kind of information about leaking being common but not normal. It's a really good opportunity when you've kind of settled into motherhood a bit you're perhaps not quite so wired as you are at the six to eight week check and you can really listen you can probably more easily leave the baby with a trusted family member if you're going a few months down the line yeah absolutely and also a lot of people go back to work at that point didn't they lots of people's maternity pay runs out and it's really good to sort of be like actually we transition into this new phase of your life let's take a step to check if you're okay Absolutely. And I think a lot of the um, kind of fitness side of it, that's when you can start really kind of ramping up your exercise and stuff. So it'd be good to just get a check over and make sure everything's all right before you go into that as well. So if you do have any gynae issues, then you can raise those with a GP and get your women's health physio referral if you need it. Yeah. And actually, to be fair, with waiting lists the way they are at the moment, if you go ask for a women's health video at your six week check, you might see one by nine months, which would be perfect timing. But obviously, it would be better if you saw one before that. That is so true. Unfortunately, that is so true. What Um, we need is more investment in our health service. We do, we do. (laughs) And actually, what you're saying about continuity of care and that being a really good model for women receiving good care, unfortunately, couple of weeks ago NHS England said that they were no longer going to make that a priority except for people who are most vulnerable because they literally just do not have the staff to carry it out and this is because of the midwifery crisis yeah because they just don't have the midwifery staff to carry it out and this is why you have situations like instead of midwives visiting mums at home now yet they're asking mums to bring you know three-day-old newborn baby back into hospital to go to a clinic to be checked and I just don't think that's great for anybody and the midwives 
who are in those situations aren't happy with that either and that's not the care they want to be providing exactly that is exactly why so many midwives are getting burnt out or leaving because they are frustrated and traumatized at not being able to give the care that they got into the profession to give absolutely so it's not working for anybody no and I think another thing to add in terms of how women can get really good care is actually there are some individual midwives and health visitors and feeding support workers and GPs who are amazing and who are going way over and above what they have paid for what they have time to do to make sure women get fantastic care but you know they're brilliant and they're wonderful people but that doesn't mean that midwives who aren't able to do that aren't wonderful people you know it's just they shouldn't have to go over and above you know they should have the staffing and resources to be able to to do that care as routine well they need to be healthy as well like uh, our healthcare workers need to be healthy their mental health their physical health is is what contributes to them being able to be a good healthcare professional not the fact that they are working crazy shifts which is going to potentially mean they get burnt out yeah we need to look after our midwives more absolutely so final question if there was one thing you could change about the world we live in which would help new mums what would it be mine's really simple and that is to tell women or inform women that when they are forming a birth plan to also form a postpartum plan and because that then plants the seed that things can be a little bit tricky sometimes afterwards and that they are important and that their recovery is important and that centering themselves is not selfish. So I've got one in the book, which was provided to me by the village midwife, Sophie Hiscock. It's excellent. And I wish I had had that. That's a fantastic idea. And like you say, it's so simple because it works on two levels. One is that it actually gives you a plan for what to do. But the second is that it makes you think, oh, this is something I need to think about. And I think we have a real cultural problem with being pregnant, 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 birth, baby. And we forget about that bit in the middle that is your postnatal body and how you're going to feel. Absolutely. And if you rip it out, and I don't mind you defacing my book, if you rip it out (laughs) and stick it somewhere, then everybody in your household will see that you need some help (laughs) and need to recover. If you want to hear more from Leanne, you can follow her on Twitter and Instagram. She's at that Leanne and it's Leanne with a Y. I've also put a link in the show notes to where you can buy her fabulous book, Your Postnatal Body, which is out now in all good bookshops. We covered a lot of things today about how the postnatal period can be difficult, both physically and mentally. As I always say, please, please do seek help if you're struggling. As Leanne said, unfortunately, In many cases, we do have to advocate for ourselves, put our hands up and say we need that help. It doesn't necessarily come to us. So please do, if you're having any problems with your physical health, see a GP, ask for a referral to Women's Health Physio, seek out a Women's Health Physio, which you can do privately, relatively inexpensively. And if you have any concerns about your mental health, then you can get a referral via your GP or sometimes directly to your local NHS mental health service. If you had your baby less than a year ago and you mention this, they will prioritise you. So do flag it up, make a big deal of it, and you're much more likely to get the help that you need faster. There are also various organisations who are really supportive, particularly with mental health problems. So I've put a couple of links to organisations that might be helpful in the show notes. Thank you so much for listening, not just to this episode, but for being a part of the first series of Mother Bodies. 
I am hugely grateful to each and every single one of you for listening, for caring, for spreading the word that it is not okay that women are having babies and not receiving the care and support that they need. Let's keep talking about it. Let's keep shouting about it. Let's keep on sharing our experiences and hopefully we'll keep edging towards the world where things are better for new mums. You can follow Mother Bodies on Twitter and Instagram at Mother Bodies, where I'll be posting news of the next series, which should hopefully be coming in the new year. Don't forget to drop Mother Bodies a rating, leave the podcast a review. It'll help spread the word about postnatal health. And if that's not incentive enough, you'll also win my love forever. What more could you possibly want? Thank you again for listening. See you next series.